This is the Banker's Corner, a McGuire Woods series exploring investment trends, solutions, and business issues relevant in today's private equity and finance industry. Tune in with McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of uh, our podcast, The Corner Series, where we bring together dealmakers and investors and experts to talk through some of the issues and topics around healthcare investing. This is Jeff Cockrell, partner at McGuire Woods uh, and, and your host. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by two of my good friends, Charles Bush and Jeff Smith, both from Harris-Williams, two of the best uh, healthcare investment bankers I know. Today we're going to be talking a bit about PPM investing, which has been a hot topic for a long time. We're going to talk about kind of the state of, uh, state of that and what we think the future direction is going to take for Physician practice management investing, but uh, Charles and Jeff, maybe start with the two of you. Uh, if you could give a quick introduction, and then we'll jump right into some topics. Well, thanks for having us on, Jeff. This is Charles Bush. I'm a, a vice president on our healthcare team. I've been a part of the Harris Williams Healthcare Group for going on eight years now. I've worked pretty broadly across our healthcare practice, and these days spend most of my time in the physician practice management and consumer healthcare world. Um, specifically, I spent a bunch of time over the last couple of years going deep on the, the derm sector and the orthopedic sector. So looking forward to the discussion today. Yeah, thanks. And this is uh, Jeff Smith. I'm a managing director and co-head of the healthcare group here at Harris Williams. Been with a firm for over 19 years now doing healthcare uh, that entire time and have uh, worked across lots of different verticals, but have spent much of my career in physician services broadly and consumer healthcare and physician practice management in particular, and have had the opportunity and continue to have the opportunity to work with a, a bunch of really great folks like Charles and a number of our colleagues to help continue to build out the practice that we have had here at Harris-Williams in those areas, which is uh, one we've had really ever since the start back in 02 and uh, continues to be a very important and large part of what we do today. Thanks, guys. Uh, this will be a fun discussion. Maybe to, to start us off, there's a lot of discussion about some interrelated terms. We hear a lot about physician practice management. We also hear about consumer healthcare or retail healthcare, and they can be used a bit interchangeably, but they're not exactly the same thing. Charles, maybe to, to start us off, when you think of those terms, how are you how are you separating them? Yeah, I think that's helpful just to set the table, Jeff. So, you know, I think when we talk about consumer healthcare versus physician practice management. Consumer healthcare, we really define as sectors where the patient has a lot of discretion over if, when, where to seek care. And there tends to be a lot more emphasis from a provider perspective on the overall consumer experience. And then if you contrast that with physician practice management, we think about that typically as more referral-driven sectors where the physician is the primary provider, care is often referral-driven by another physician, and the patient doesn't necessarily have quite as much discretion over you know, where they seek care or how they, they seek care. I would note on that, I agree with everything that Charles said, that there really is a spectrum, in our opinion. It, it is, I mean, certainly at, at each end of the barbell, if you will, I think you can have a relatively clear definition, as Charles outlined. I think one of the things that we've certainly seen over the last 20 years and really accelerated in the last few is that the lines are blurring between sort of traditional pure PPM and consumer healthcare more broadly. So even, you know, you can find some businesses that are historically much more sort of physician practice, maybe even referral driven. Dental is an example 
for example, especially dental, but certainly there's a very large consumer pull aspect of that. And so I think one of the things that, that we've seen and work with clients to help them think through is exactly how to describe their company, how to describe their positioning, how to think about it from both a, from a patient or a consumer perspective, as well as from a potential investor perspective. One of the things that can kind of further complicate some of those distinctions is while uh, you're, I think, correct in how you're segmenting the market, those terms also have a legal overlay in my world. In, in my world, the physician practice management is often connected to a, a more pure technical structural element where if the business involves employing physicians for the services that they're going to be doing, kind of at any level, if you're employing a physician and you're in a state where there are limitations on the corporate practice of medicine, that means that an investor like a private equity fund is likely not going to be able to acquire the practice where those uh, physicians work. And instead, uh, you're going to have a relationship where a management company has a management relationship with that practice. And those dynamics uh, can cover a bunch of different sectors in, in healthcare services, whether you're talking retail, uh, kind of patient-oriented, or even heavier hospital-based sectors. The mere fact that you're employing the physicians can attach that designation in a PPM deal. So it, it can get confusing, but I think your market uh, presentation ex is exactly right. So we've been at this uh, for goodness, 10 years across a bunch of different sectors. Jeff, how would you describe the state of PPM investing today? Yeah, look, I think that the, the state is probably easiestly defined as still tremendously fragmented. It, it has been for a long time. And I think people have continued to invest in the space. People more and more, both operators and investors, are thinking more creatively about it. And even sort of stratifying within sectors, right? So for example, you know, Charles and I and Harris Williams have done a lot of work in the dermatology space broadly. And, you know, historically, I think people would think about that as medical dermatology and, and sort of understanding of all that that entails. And if you think about the world of dermatology today, there is a much broader definition of how people think about that from aesthetics to cosmetics to med spa, et cetera. And so as you as you sort of subdivide within these sectors, the fragmentation only increases and the opportunity to create real value by figuring out how to properly allocate resources among or between those types of businesses just continues to grow. Charles, what are some of the characteristics in this space that have made it such an attractive uh, investor sector? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to love from an investor perspective. And, you know, I, th I think the key macro trends across really a lot of different PPM verticals are you have aging population demographics that are driving demand. You have a medical necessity of demand and recession resilience that is pretty much insulated from discretionary consumer spending. There are favorable provider supply demand dynamics just in terms of scarcity of physicians out there, stability of reimbursement over time like Jeff was hitting on, the degree of fragmentation across these sectors, even, even more mature sectors like dental are still incredibly fragmented. And then, you know, I think the macro thing that's really driving a lot of investors to look at PPM is the fact that there are real economies of scale and platform creation opportunities across a lot of different innings of the PPM lifecycle where they can come in and, and add value. There's been, while there's still a lot of fragmentation 
both in general and to varying degrees uh, in specific healthcare provider services sectors. One of the topics that I think is uh, being watched closely is as some of these platforms uh, get bigger and uh, a lot of the, the, the methods in which they get rolled together is you start out with, say, a smaller fund that is cobbling together uh, a certain number of them, getting them to, say, five uh, or more million in EBITDA. They might sell to a fund who has them for a few years, sells it to a bigger one. But eventually, you end up with very, very large platforms uh, in healthcare provider services where it might be a billion, billion and a half company. Jeff, how do you see the the big box buyers performing in this market? And, and what do you think the future holds for those kind of end game scenarios? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I agree with you. It's one that people are asking a lot right now. I mean, I think the answer is it depends. I think there is no question that there are increasingly large uh, private equity funds that can do bigger and bigger deals that we've we have seen instances of that. Um, we've seen instances of firms um, teaming up together to increase their firepower and doing multi-billion dollar transactions across the consumer healthcare or physician practice space. So I, I think there's a long way to go for most of these businesses because the reality is there aren't that many really large sort of PPM or consumer healthcare businesses, although they are growing. I think there's frankly as much or maybe more focus right now on perfecting the models as they scale and making sure that investors and management teams are thinking through how do we make sure we've got the right balance between growth and continuing to deliver the highest clinical the highest clinical care possible so i think you'll you'll see that for a while and then look i think there's absolutely you know, as people think to the future, A, examples where you've got institutional investors that are not on a traditional private equity fund timeline. So they much, may have much longer time horizons, uh, whether those are family offices or, you know, what we call patient capital, pools of capital that, that have different return and timing thresholds. And look, I think the big question that people will be asking over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years will be, what is the possibility and potential for public company exits for some of these businesses? And what can those look like? And I think that's there is certainly a market for that, and there will be in the future. But there's a lot more that goes into those models and the requirements to do that, that frankly, most of the companies just aren't quite ready for yet. A private equity buyer buying at uh, some of these uh, EBITDA multiples, call it 15 or more, those necessitate a certain kind of growth trajectory that becomes difficult to continue over, over time. There are also buyers that are viewing kind of purchasing in the high end, very, very large part of the market as being a very similar investment to investing in public markets where you compare those multiples, which they sound gaudy, but you compare that to PE multiples for a public company, it starts to look more similar. And so if a buyer is kind of purchasing a, a large uh, healthcare provider services platform and, and their kind of cash flow expectations are more similar to what you'd see in a public market, um, I think it's easier to wrap your head around there being some terminal buyers that are not looking for the same exact growth trajectory. And, and part of why that's more tolerable for them at maybe a flatter growth trajectory is a healthy amount of the risk has been taken out of some of these businesses. And so they may not be able to grow at uh, 20, 30% uh, 
year-over-year growth, but there's a lot of risk taken out of it, and they cash flow in a way that makes them look a lot more like a direct investment in public securities. So I, I think there's uh, uh, room for to, to be optimistic of what those kind of back-end purchasers' expectations are and, and how those expectations can actually be met in this market, which is uh, clearly a, a driver for continuing consolidation because if, if those kind of back-end purchasers weren't doing well, it gets harder to see a consolidation model that's feeding up to them uh, continuing to work. So I think the future does still look bright from that perspective. Charles, maybe uh, switching it to you, as you look at some of the sectors uh, that where there's still a lot of consolidation to occur, what are some of them that you guys are tracking that, uh, that seem like there's still a lot of open space? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Jeff. You know, I, I think to Jeff, Smith's earlier point, you know, even some of the sectors like dental that have been active from a private equity perspective for decades now, there's still an incredible amount of opportunity out there. I, you know, I think as we look across the, the landscape, there are emerging PPM sectors like orthopedics and cardiology that are very much sort of in that land grab stage. And then there are others that are dermatology and vision, ophthalmology and optometry that are more sort of in the professionalism stage. And then I think there are are some sectors that are a little bit more mature and moving towards that consumerization stage, like dental and and physical therapy, where, you know, no matter which sector you're talking about, there are still a lot of different levers that investors can pull on to create value. And I think the playbook is a little bit different within each sector and, and sort of PPM life cycle, so to speak. And from where I sit, I see lots of activity in a couple kind of thematic uh, areas. One is areas where you can kind of conceive of connecting an ASC to that business. There may be some uh, ASC work already connected to that business, but if you can see a sector where adding an ASC in a particular market is another kind of source of revenue, those are interesting. So that might be ophthalmology, GI, uh, all those areas that have ASC potential in them have been areas where there's a lot of uh, interesting activity and a lot of interesting partnering and joint venturing with either health systems or large uh, ASC management chains, just because they bring some expertise or maybe a little bit better reimbursement. But areas where you can connect uh, an expanding ASC presence has been one area where we see a lot of interest. And then areas where you can kind of wrap your head around doing more value-based contracting. So uh, whether that is primary care, where you might be able to do value-based contracting with Medicare Advantage contracts, or orthopedic, where you can conceive of doing kind of broader bundled payments than what has historically happened with just knees and hips. So those areas of either bringing in a new uh, revenue line or being able to more directly dabble in value-based contracting have been some of the more active areas to me. I think that's all right. And, And sort of agnostic of the individual sectors, we think about the PPM or consumer healthcare framework and life cycle from sort of a nine innings of baseball perspective, where you have the first three innings are typically characterized by the land grab stage. That's where folks are very interested on in high velocity M&A, integrating a bunch of different practices, starting to lay the framework for building platform infrastructure that can support scalable growth over a long period of time. Then you move into innings four through through six, where it's more professionalization stage. And I think at that point, an investor has probably laid the framework for a real professionalized platform with centralized infrastructure. The focus starts to shift a little bit more towards organic growth initiatives. So some of the things that you were 
enumerating like adding ASCs, building out ancillaries, accelerating physician recruitment and doing de novos. And then once you start to get into the more mature life cycles, which if it's sort of strictly consumer healthcare, we would call kind of the consumerization stage, or if it's more physician practice management, that's where you probably get into more value-based care. I think at that point, that's where a lot of investors are focused on optimizing operations, leveraging big data, potential for transformational M&A, payer contracting at scale. That's where some of those growth levers start to be more applicable. That's definitely true. And, and then kind of even looking across all those sectors, I still think there's some, some unifying characteristics of success. Look at uh, clients that I've worked with, and there's a few things that really, really shine through. The first is, and it all not surprisingly result, revolves around kind of physician relationships. There are CEOs that uh, you might call them doc whisperers that are just able to maintain the confidence and trust of the physicians. And that is a magical skill. Doctors are uh, super well-educated and they're very, very successful in their, in their kind of primary area. And it's, it's difficult to kind of build and hold that kind of trust when you're trying to manage all of them. So having that kind of relationship with the doctors has been really a unifying theme as I look at clients that have either been successful or maybe not successful. And then the other kind of related dynamic is the platforms that have been very thoughtful and, and oftentimes creative about physician alignment in the economics of the deal, in the governance of the deal, how they talk about themselves. But physician alignment uh, is, a, is a huge driver of long-term success in these businesses because uh, they can otherwise be somewhat fragile. Jeff, what what would you say are some of the the drivers of successful companies that you've seen? Well, I mean, I, I think you, frankly, just really got it, kind of nailed them, Jeff, to be honest with you. I mean, I think the aspect of physician alignment is single-handedly the most important aspect of it. And I would agree with you, your description of them is, as potentially being very fragile otherwise. Think about these businesses or the way we think about them you need to have the company, the management company in these situations, their client is the physician in most cases. So it's critically important that the entire organization is aligned around this principle of how do we keep our physicians feeling supported, providing them with the resources that they need, making sure that you know everything from compensation through the infrastructure to what's happening in the office or the clinic is aligned around the physician need. And then the second piece is, how do we make sure that we are delivering or helping the physician to deliver the best experience to the patient, end user, consumer, whatever that individual is, both from a quality perspective as the physician views quality, right, which is going to be around the, the care, as well as the quality from the, from the patient or the consumer's perspective, which may be different, right? Because for most of us, it's hard for us to determine whether or not we're really receiving great clinical care, as well as thinking about quality from the consumer's perspective, which can encompass a lot more than just the actual healthcare delivered, because in many cases, a consumer or patient doesn't really know whether they're getting the best care. Their perception is, is very much driven by the overall experience, the office that they're in, their interaction with a front office staff or with a nurse or a mid-level or whatever it may be, in addition to 
the physician or the clinician. And so having a business that is entirely able to, I guess, to balance those two dynamics on both the physician side and on the consumer or patient side really is ultimately what determines whether, you know, one of these businesses can be successful over the long term. Maybe turning the page a little bit, let's talk a little bit about some of the headwinds that this business uh, is facing or this sector is facing. And and I'll start us off. Uh, One of the headwinds that feels like it is going to be growing is uh, the government's view of some of this consolidation, whether that's state government or federal government. There's, you, you mentioned that the the, the areas where you have to show improvement through these PPM models of patient care, physician experience, there are regulators that are not as certain that the consolidation is, is bringing a heightened patient care, is bringing a better doctor experience, and frankly, is bringing a reduction in cost as opposed to an increase in cost. And so you're starting to see a higher antitrust level of review by state regulators in, in particular who want to say, well, in our state, let's uh, take a breath here and make sure that this consolidation is best for the market, best for uh, cost, be- best for care. That's an area where I think we can expect some higher level of scrutiny scrutiny, and that investors and, and, and bankers for that uh, matter need to be careful in how they think about uh, some of these combinations, how they talk about some of these combinations. But that's an area where we can expect some higher levels of scrutiny. Charles, what uh, headwinds do you think that we need to be cognizant of? Well, I, I think you articulated well, which is that similar to how investors are looking at uh, platforms and thinking to themselves, you know, what what is the real platform value here? And what is justifying us making investments like this? Regulators are looking at combinations and um, asking themselves, is this ultimately better for the system? I think in some of the strategic to strategic transactions that we have have done recently, we have seen a higher level of scrutiny around HSR topics and going really deep upon on not just sort of state level overlap of different businesses, but also market level overlap and lots of different ways to define market share, be it by number of clinic locations, number of providers, you know, percentage of Medicare dollars that are flowing through those those combined entities. And and as a result of seeing a higher level of scrutiny, it, it's definitely something that we are proactively getting in front of more with our, our clients. And it does you know, feed into some of the advice that we give them around how they think about potential strategic buyers and doing some of that work up front to understand if there are potential HSRs, we, re, issues that we would run into during the process. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I don't, I don't think in some ways it's any different than sort of the bar has been raised by investors in terms of how they look at these businesses as they've gotten more sophisticated and they've seen more models that work and don't work. I think the the, the government is doing the same thing and saying these businesses are becoming more prevalent. And so we're going to look at them with a higher level of scrutiny. And and that's just a, a reality of the market continuing to evolve. And so I agree with Charles. I think it's it's becoming increasingly important to be thinking about that topic and those sorts of topics the same way you would be thinking about normal business operations, right? And thinking about, all right, how do we make sure that we're prepared to handle these questions that we're thinking about it in the C-suite very strategically because we know everybody else is. And frankly, that level of attention to those topics should only benefit the businesses and those management teams in the long run because it's going to require 
really clear thinking, really clear articulation of strategy and real investment in infrastructure, support, technology, et cetera, that enables a company to be able to show that what they say they're doing, they're actually able to do. So uh, last topic here is uh, where's all this heading? Uh, We've been at this for a long time. Charles, what's the near and intermediate term prognosis and direction for this sector? And then Jeff, you can give us the long-term one. Yeah, Jeff, I think sort of at the micro sector level, you'll continue to see what I was articulating earlier around the the maturation of the PPM lifecycle. You will see individual sectors continue to move through the different innings of their lifecycle. Um, and then from a macro perspective, just as private equity has continued to move through sectors over time and five, five seven years ago, dermatology was the next PPM sector of focus and orthopedics has been a, a hot one. And you mentioned cardiology earlier. I think you'll see private equity continue to move along the continuum into emerging PPM sectors where there's similar opportunity. Yeah. And look, I'd say longer term, we will continue as we have. Um, I think we will absolutely see more consolidation across specialties and people thinking about that in different ways. You know, I think, for example, you know, the Aspen Group is a really interesting model to think about. You know, that started as Aspen Dental. It was all dental-focused, de novo model. And what they came to realize um, over a period of time was that their real expertise was not in delivering dental services necessarily, but was in helping clinicians deliver physician services in a distributed healthcare services model. And so we have now seen them move into other verticals and sub-verticals, whether it's veterinary, whether it's dermatology and med spa, et cetera. I think we will see more businesses thinking about the world through a similar, um, albeit somewhat different lens based on which business you're talking about. And I think Frankly, the very large private equity funds will be thinking about that both from a, what is the, the right way to continue building these very large businesses? And then two, you know, if you do want to be able to go public at some point, and you know, clearly the public investor has a, has a different risk threshold, a different return expectation, what is it that, that, that those individuals want to see and how do we think about moving our company Um, in the direction that is much better suited to be in the public markets. We talked a little bit about some of the uh, headwinds of being governmental and regulator anxiety as to what benefits the consolidation brings. I think the future actually turns that on its head in that the future is really going to be a continued march towards a different system of healthcare as we move towards value-based medicine, risk-based contracting, that evolution requires capital uh, and intelligence, and private equity funds are in particular built to lend both of those aspects. So uh, whether that's making investments in analytics, uh, a large practice is just not able to do that on their own. So private equity consolidation brings the tools that I think is going to enable the complete ultimately bringing to fruition the goal that we all have of moving away from a fee-based system into a value-based care system. So I think the the future is bright. Uh, but uh, like you said, there's lots of innings left to play and we'll, we'll have to watch it all unfold. 
But uh, I want to first thank you, you two, for uh, joining us for this episode. It's been super fun. You all are real smart. Uh, and uh, like I said, some of the bankers I have the most respect for are, are in your shop. So thanks, thanks again for spending a little bit of time with us and uh, adding your insights to this topic. Well, thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate it, as always, and um, look forward to chatting more in the future. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Banker's Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.